Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt, the long-awaited episode with Clark Moody. It's here, freaks. Rejoice. Throw your hands in the air like you just don't care. And press play on this podcast. If you're listening, you already have press play. So I don't know why I said that. A uh, really great episode with Clark. Got into a lot of uh, a lot of topics, particularly uh, why he's so into data. And, you know, it, this episode ebbs and flows. Roller coaster ride of emotions. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash Up. Cash Up. You freaks already know all about them. But if you don't know about them, just in case, maybe this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me tell you about the Cash App. It's the easiest place to stack sats. All right, you can stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats if you so please. They're making sats the standard, so we're not stacking fractions of a Bitcoin, but we're buying whole sats. And you can DCA in the sats. You can buy daily, weekly, bi-weekly. Set it and forget it. It's possible on the Cash App now. Uh, because this is all connected to your bank account, you can start stacking right away. And if you want to, you can start stacking slivers of stonks right away too. Uh, cash App investing allows you to invest in your favorite stonk, wherever that is. If it's too expensive, uh, out of your reach, you can buy as little as $1. You can stack a sliver of that stonk with Cash App investing. Uh, Cash App Investing is a subsidiary square, a member SIPC. As always, remember to use the code STACKINGSATS when you download the Cash App, if you haven't done so already. That's STACKINGSATS, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our great friends in Chicago at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. What do you think of that, Marty's little bitch owl? Enjoy this episode. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Welcome to Tales from the Crypt. This is Clark Moody, and you are entering the Purity Test Lightning Round. Each contestant will complete the sentence. You are not a real Bitcoiner if, I'll kick it off. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you don't run your own full node. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you don't spend Bitcoin in the streets. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you don't work in Bitcoin full time. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you work for a KYC exchange. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you have a KYC exchange as an advertiser. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you work at a Bitcoin mining company. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you eat vegetables. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you don't have any kids. You're not a real Bitcoiner if you've never used Lightning. And finally, you're not a real Bitcoiner if you care about marketing. <laughs> Nobody's a Bitcoiner. Nobody's a real and Bitcoiner. A good thing. Thank you for participating in the Purity <laughs> Test Lightning Round. Ah, the purity tests get exhausting. They get very exhausting. I'm pretty. Why can everybody just chill? 
Yeah, I'm pretty tired. I'm pretty tired of the purity test. <laughs> Bobby Lee is not a real Bitcoiner, though. <laughs> there it the is. record show. There it is. That is pretty ridiculous. You've been pointing that out. Uh, they have the passphrase included on the thing? Like, they produce the p- passphrase as well? They pre-generate the private key and the passphrase. It's a great BIP38 wallet to use. Uh, I remember way back crypto. in the day, way back in the day, there was some way you could send them like a hash or something of your, of your, I don't know. You, there was a way that some company was generating these physical things in a cryptographically secure way where like you had a piece of it, they had a piece of it, but only you could unlock it. But that was a long time ago. Well, I think what it was, was you sent them, you sent them the, 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 the QR code but not the passphrase, not the BIP38 passphrase, and then they printed it for you and oh, sent it back uh, to you. So you generate a script. The, and they... Was this the web wallet yeah. creator? So, so there was a physical wallet that looked like the ballet crypto, but but you didn't give them the BIP38 key. You didn't give them the BIP38 passphrase. So they would have to, if they wanted to compromise you, they would have to brute force your BIP38 Obviously, there was a privacy risk was there, um, and you were relying solely on the the strength of your passphrase that you chose, which most people probably weren't choosing strong passphrases. But it's still infinitely better than what Bobby Lee just came out with, and a lot of big Bitcoiners endorsed that shit too. Craziness. It's madness. Uh, the Lee brothers we can't get away from them. Uh, is Charlie Lee predicting that Litecoin's going to pump in price? Is he is he starting to front run? Is he going to dump at the top again? I don't know the position we of Charlie's bags. <laughs> well, Clark, I'm happy we're doing this. It's been a long time coming. Obviously, we've been shilling your your dashboard for quite some time here at TFTC. And as you alluded to, you've been around for quite a while. And uh, I think a good place to start this conversation would be your your piece that you wrote a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago at this point on 10 years of Bitcoin data. And I thought that was a beautiful piece and just like a really good intro to your journey through Bitcoin and why and how you got into it. So what the hell has it been like being in the space for 10 years? Infinite refills of popcorn. It just never ends. Uh, Freud, popcorn, drama, public lawsuits, public, you know, people getting scammed and hacked and you know it, yeah it never ends but like like i said in my so yeah the piece the piece was you know the other day i was talking about some market data and i remembered that like mount gox's first trades were in 2010 in july sometime and so i went back and actually found an old copy of the mount gox trade data on like an old hard drive and uh pulled it up and the first bitcoin traded at 4.95 cents per coin and the first trade was 20 bitcoin so it's like a, you know uh 100 170,000x or whatever return if, if you'd held that very very first trade um so here we are 10k 11k whatever it is today and people are saying oh it'll never go to x x is 100,000 a million a billion whatever it'll never go there but we've already seen it come six orders of magnitude you know uh so 
I, I'm not making any price predictions. That's another purity purity test, right? You're, you're not a Bitcoiner if you think that stock to flow is real, or if you do think stock to flow is real, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's my, you know, that's the data, the data piece of it. But uh, I found out about Bitcoin shortly after it hit a dollar in February of 11. And I had my first real-time Mt. Gox uh, website up in early June of 2011. And so I was able to watch the big Mt. Gox hack live on my site. The, the, the hack where the hacker created a bunch of synthetic Bitcoin and then dumped it on the market. And so the Mt. Gox was just dumping for like 30 minutes and it went all the way down to a penny. Um, but then they reversed, they reversed all those trades. How did they create synthetic Bitcoin? They just hacked the database like, and just had their their entry, you know, five hundred thousand coins to my account, and then just like market sold it. Uh, which is and, a way they could they could have put orders on the other side, and then tried to get a, get those filled. I I don't know. They credited their Gox account with with Bitcoin, even though they didn't yeah. have Bitcoin. Yeah, there. because Gox had like a terrible backend PHP infrastructure. Correct, like it wasn't conducive for trading at all actually i think reading readings through the history of gox like i don't think it was ever actually solvent at all like at any moment that carpellos owned it <laughs> so it's just kind of a tragic like huge amounts of success and then also just massive uh insolvency the whole time so, yeah like a bomb what happened to happen. jed, Mc jed mccaleb handed it off to him correct right uh yeah. Jed McCaleb, for you freaks who are unaware, is a uh, chronic shitcoiner. He's created Ripple and, and Stellar. And he's got a lot of Ripple that he's allowed to market dump on on the market every month. Uh, I believe it was something like 5 million Ripple or something like that every month, or 50 million. It's like, it's the reverse of stacking sats. <laughs> Dump, dumping Ripples. He's like dumping cost averaging <laughs> because he's forced to. Uh, yeah. So, Clark, why? What about why are you so fascinated with data? Thank you for working hard to to grant Bitcoiners access to data in a free, free way. Like your your dashboard, I have again. It's one of my very. I have few bookmarks, and your dashboard it's, is. Up it's there. the best thing ever. Nice. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been on the market data side of of the of the shop here in Bitcoin. And I guess, you know, right before, right before I got into Bitcoin, I was kind of looking at automated trading type strategies and how to do that. But to get, to get data feeds, you had to pay NASDAQ, you know, 5k a month or whatever to get a, to get a good data feed. And here comes this Mt. Gox thing, real time, real time data for free, scrape the full history for free. And then all the other Bitcoin exchanges for the most part have followed suit with free data because getting liquidity is more important than trying to milk your, your data set for exchange. And so I just put together, the problem I'm solving is each exchange has a terrible interface, you know, back in the day. They're, they're a little bit better now, but they were terrible. You know, you had to like manually hit F5 on the Mt. Gox order book to like get a fresh book, right? So I said, I need to, I need to make this you know, they've got a real-time feed. I'll see if I can put together a real-time book. And uh, did that. It was like WebSockets were still being finalized. Like the spec for WebSocket was still kind of up in the air. And it's like you had spotty browser-supported stuff. Um, 
But then coming through, coming around to the dashboard, 2017 rolls around, four cores, block size. You're hitting like four or five different websites, right? You're on like CoinDance. You're on the UASF tracker, like how many nodes are signaling UASF in the user agent. You're on like a fee website, like all these different things. And I'm thinking you only need one data point from each side. Like what's the mining signaling rate? What's the block size, average block size? That's all you need. So I just wanted to put, you know, every single data point from the entire Bitcoin economy just on one screen and just the data points and like, that's it. And so that's, that's what I set out to do. Yeah, and it's incredible. I, and I love how you just keep adding to it. Like last week you added uh, the Bitcoin price in ounces of gold and barrels of oil and the percentage of Bitcoin's market cap compared to gold's market cap. That's the number to watch, man. So, do you believe so? That's the ultra, so? ultra bull, bull number right there. It's real when flipping. It, when, it's, when it surpasses that. So beyond the data, like what did you stumble into Bitcoin because of the free and open data and the trading aspect of it and come to believe in it? Or did you sort of have uh, a penchant for sound money or freedom in the digital age? before before getting into bitcoin yeah i definitely got into the philosophy after after bitcoin prior to that i you know i was kind of like a constitutionalist kind of you know kind of guy i never really thought about most of the libertarian message but i definitely came to that stuff after joining bitcoin and then the sound the sound money um austrian economics stuff just really made sense whenever i went down that down that rabbit hole I was like, this, this explains, you know, all the chaos and stuff you see in the world is this, is this money stuff and um, government interference in markets, that sort of thing. So yeah, definitely after, uh, if, if I was ideological, when I if I was aligned ideologically, when I first discovered Bitcoin, I definitely wouldn't have sold any of it early on. <laughs> right? so I would have been like, load this up. This is the thing that we've been looking for. Um, you're not a real Bitcoiner if you sold, if you sold any, any Bitcoin. Bitcoin you're, you're not a real Bitcoiner. Yeah. No. What? Uh, so, that's good. Um, like what? What lessons? Like what were the hardest lessons that you've learned before getting to where you are now? Like in the early days. Like what? What is one? Like some of the crazy shit you've seen. Well, I mean, for for my own website, uh, you know, I I. <laughs> I wrote the, I learned how to do web development kind of on the fly to build these Bitcoin sites. You know, I have an engineering background, aerospace engineering. So I was, you know, doing space robotics and interesting you know, sensors and stuff like that, but never web tech. And so I was, you know, pushing changes live to the site, hacking it, hacking it live, <laughs> testing in production, you know, like PHP backend, real dirty, uh, you know, really crazy JavaScript build systems. So one day the site hits Hacker News and it just gets pummeled. And I'm just trying to, you know, I don't even know Linux. I'm on like Windows, but I'm like shelled into a Linux server, barely learning that. Is this zero block? No, this wasn't zero block. This was kind of prior. It was like, let's say the crash from 77 or so. It's kind of that, that crash. Um, but yeah, you know, just 
servers on fire. I, I pushed, I pushed some change that spikes the CPU and I get banned by my hosting provider and have to find somebody else and shout out bit VPS who hooked me up with a free VPS back in the day. I don't think they're still around, but you know, uh, say thanks to your sponsors. Right. Uh, yeah, so those sort of war stories, but then I never had the real, I never had the real, you know, I threw away my laptop with my wallet on it, or uh, I had a, you know, a bunch of coins on an exchange. I never really had that experience, but I definitely got my uh, popcorn bucket refilled by those experiences over the years uh, and le learned from others pain on, the, on, the, on that front. Yeah, there's... Always enough popcorn to eat. Unexpected refill all the time. <laughs> um, so one of the things I really like about your dashboard, um, and I think why other people haven't really been able to compete with the level of substance and usefulness it has, is because there is absolutely zero effort to monetize it. Um, and that's usually where you see the friction. You, it's either ads, which are annoying, or it's like some kind of paywall. Um, so right now you have it completely as donationware. I know you have a donation widget on your, on your site, linked on your site, both on-chain and Lightning and a Paynim, I believe, a Samurai Paynim. Uh, do you want to tell us like how that experience is? Do you, do you feel like you're not getting enough donations, which is completely fine to admit? Because I assume you're not. Uh, are, are you considering monetizing it in some way? I, I know it, it's kind of like a, almost like a hobbyist kind of thing, right? Yeah, the monetization. I do have an ad module. I don't know if you see it. It's like right after the very first module. There's a one line. Actually, it says want to advertise here right now. That's funny. But it's just like a one line of text. And this is my experiment. Like, can I monetize one single line of text? And it rotates out. And one of them is uh, donate, donate to the site. Um, but yeah, that's my experiment. Can I have an ultra tasteful ad? Uh, but you know, I don't server costs are so cheap. Uh, it, uh, you know, it's not, it's not getting huge amounts of traffic that necessitates a big backend. And so it's a really efficient site to run. It's like 10 bucks a month to run it. You know, it's, it's just, it's really my, just... it's really my hobby, right? Labor it's covered love. two and a half months for you. I just, I just sent a donation. I've been, I've been leeching off of it for too long. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Uh, let's plug the. Where's the donation? Oh, it says donate, donate on the bottom right, right hand. Yeah. Bitcoin.clarkmoody.com/slash/donate. Uh, I also didn't notice that ad line. That's, that's. I like that. That's a tasteful way of doing it. It's, it's the minimal amount, the minimum viable ad. I haven't had any hits on on people want to want to fill that line up with text and pay for it. But, you know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, hey, it, the, the monetization, like, I don't know. I'm not doing charts, right? The ad, the dashboard, the dashboard is a moment in time. And then the moment is gone. Like I'm not, <laughs> there's no time histories. There's no spark lines. There's no charts. I'm not building a charting website. This is it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a dashboard. It's a view into the Bitcoin ecosystem at this moment. And then it's gone forever. 
I don't want to, I don't want to do any sort of data feed stuff where I've got contracts and uptime and, oh, I give you the inside track, you delay it for the public site. I don't want to do that stuff. I don't know. It's just, just kind of a labor of love. And like, well, none that, of this stuff is, none of this stuff is proprietary data either. You know? Right. Well, I love that. It's just like Bitcoin in the moment. And it's actually just as a tool really helped me gather context of where Bitcoin is, particularly for some reason, I'm just like fascinated by uh, the changes between difficulty adjustments. Like I love knowing where we are between the last and the next difficulty adjustment, how, how quick blocks are coming in compared to the target in, re in relation to the target and, and how hash rates changing on average between the adjustments. I think that really drives home like the nature of Bitcoin is just seeing that that data visible in real time, knowing how many blocks away you are from the next retarget. I've been really careful to try to get my terminology correct as well, using the word subsidy and reward separately Very important. and correctly. And then kind of using this epoch, this epoch word, uh, you know, reward epoch, difficulty epoch. Um, to kind of represent that 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 period of blocks, uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. It's it's interesting. You know, you gotta you've got to name things. Naming things is one of the you know two or three hard things in computer science, and so I have maybe forty characters to label this this thing that I'm adding. What do you label it so it's not confusing, gets the point across, and doesn't wrap? You know, doesn't wrap so that you mess up your layout. That's that's kind of a challenge. Aesthetics are key. You can't be wrapping on this layout. One one line, one line, no wrap. I love the aesthetics. Black on white, green and red. When things change, either up or down. Um, crushed it, man. Thanks. Uh, so what? Like outside of the site, what what is exciting you now about Bitcoin? Like what are you what are you paying attention to? Um, do you think Bitcoin has succeeded? Do you think it's, it's success mm. is inevitable? Um, are you a Bitcoiner if you don't believe that? <laughs> get, a, get a believe. No, I'm excited about the, I'm excited about the software proposals. I'm excited about uh, the coin swap, coin swap proposal. I haven't, I don't fully understand it, but I am excited about confusing the uh, can, you know, casting doubt onto the UTXO ownership uh, heuristics. Uh, excited about, yeah, the soft forks. There's what, four or so, uh, four, four kind of proposals right now. And they're all kind of cool. Um, I did a teeny tiny bit of code review on core, you know, a couple months ago, which was an interesting experience. Um, but mainly I'm working on the market data side uh, at my day job. So I'm working on the CryptoWatch product from, from Kraken and we're building uh, a new desktop uh, program. So it'll be like market data on it, like an actual desktop program that runs and it's not an electron. It's not just an electron wrapper on a web page. So I'm super excited <laughs> about that. Building charts again for the first time in years, um, which is my original kind of gig in Bitcoin. So I'm really excited there. So what's the uh, the target 
user for this for this product specifically traders or it's kind of yeah the trader target um if you want mark like a bunch it's kind of that you can put one copy on every one of your 10 monitors and have like 16 charts in every single one of them and your computer isn't brought to its knees kind of thing so it's just ultra efficient tons of data density it's like a bluebird like terminal. terminal yeah you're land, landing on the desktop um with really high quality software so that's what i've been working on recently and i think it it hooks right into exchange accounts right like if you're a trader you can trade right through the right through the web app right now but i assume the desktop app trading the trading not at launch but soon tm that's the goal obviously yeah and that's a Kraken. That's a Kraken asset now, it right? Is, yeah. Crypto Watch. And that you know, it's Crypto Watch is really like the very first kind of company that I built. Yeah. RTBTC way back in the day, it was like one interface. Plug in your API keys. Trade on any of your exchange accounts. It's this, you know, it's it's like what I've been doing for since 20, I, I I the day I got into Bitcoin. I drew a picture of that interface on a piece of paper and I said, I'm going to build this. And then like two years later, I launched it and then it got acquired by blockchain, you know, so it, it's, this is what I've been doing the whole time. So, you know, it's kind of like back to my roots, which is pretty cool. Well, you're not a real Bitcoiner if blockchain's ever acquired one of your companies. So I've worked for blockchain. I've worked for Bitcoin.com. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been all over. I've been all over. Uh, so what, uh, what do you think is the most fascinating part about all this data? Like just the, again, like you mentioned that it's all open, particularly like the network data that you can pull for nodes. Like, is it just cool to look at or do you see it as something that, that provides actionable, uh, consequences for people? I think that, you know, doing the dashboard with a little bit of market stuff and a lot of chain stuff, a lot of mining stuff, it just kind of opens the, opens the door. So somebody who's first heard about Bitcoin may hit a couple different sites, but if they make their way to the dashboard, then it's just like, boom, there's this whole huge thing with flashy lights and like tons of stuff. And it, I think it kind of like cracks the book on how deep the rabbit hole is. And if you start to actually try to understand each item, at, eventually you'll get this really kind of holistic picture, you know, cause people say, oh, Bitcoin is slow or, oh, Bitcoin is expensive. Oh, Bitcoin is scarce. Well, what does that mean? Oh, Bitcoin is this and that. So I've got, you know, monetary inflation on here and it's like 3.34% last year, monetary inflation. Fantastic. Okay. That's a number that I can take and compare to, you know, USM2 that, that doubled this year with giant amounts of printing forward inflation. How does he know that? Et cetera, et cetera. Like economic indicators, fees. I don't have block size stuff on here yet. I, I should probably do that at some point fees. So I've got the fees three different ways. You know, right now we got some congestion cause we have this market pump, but the average fee in dollars is $3 70 per transaction. Well, that sounds pretty high. But the next field is the average fee percentage, and it's 1.2 basis points on the output, output amount. Well, that's pretty cheap. And then 65 sats per byte. Okay, so that kind of puts it in context for your wallet. You know, that's, so it's, three, it's fees three different ways, and you get the context 
are fees expensive or cheap? I don't know. If you send $100 million in one transaction and you paid $3.70, that's pretty cheap. You know, so yeah, it just it. gives context and like the rabbit hole's deep and you try to get some context on what this thing, what this thing called Bitcoin is doing, you know. This, this idea of like open data, um, I think like it, you really are onto something that it does trigger a rabbit hole kind of experience for especially traditional finance data types, right? Because if you've ever tried to build a site where you're looking up like historical stock prices or historical gold commodity prices, oil prices, it's ridiculously difficult to find good data sets on that stuff. Um, and we kind of stumbled into it, fortunately, that all these exchanges followed the the Gox model of these open APIs, right? It's it's beautiful that, that that exists, but it's not enforced by the protocol. But the fact that you can pull all this chain data by just running a node is is absolutely crazy. It's like yeah. mind-bending. Yeah, and the other piece is anytime there's an official number out from some budget office or bureau or something, there's always the number that launches on the on the date and it's like monthly or quarterly and then there's the revised number that comes out two weeks later after they got more survey data in and did seasonal corrections and blah 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 we got it real time right here real time exact numbers on the no big, hedonic adjustments no hedonic seasonal temporary workers blah 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 no real time 100 percent accurate Hopefully, uh, yeah, the UTXO set size or any of that, any of that sort of stuff, you can get it from a full node and it's accurate up to the second, up to the latest block. Yeah. Yeah. And it really drives home the nature of Bitcoin, like complete truth. Like if you want to find complete truth about the network and the inner workings of the network, you can do that. It allows you to, and this is a fundamental shift in the way people interact with these financial tools and comparing it to the fed is like you just did is, is hilarious right? it's, it's a no brainer. Once you understand uh, the inner workings of the fed and how they try to project forward uh, and then collect that data and report it. And then they have seasonal hedonic adjustments. And then you figure uh, the thing they're targeting for inflation, particularly CPI is completely, bastardized with the variables being changed on the fly and when you compare that to bitcoin you just look at your dashboard and you're gonna be like all right we know we're x amount of blocks in the next difficulty adjustment hash rate is uh, around this area right now because we don't know for certain what the exact hash rate is at any given point in time you know uh how many fees miners are collecting what 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 fee level is getting accepted into a block it's beautiful and this is going to change the nature of how we humans interact with, with these financial tools yeah that's you know that's the end of my the very last couple paragraphs of my kind of 10-year retrospective on market data i put in a little blurb about you know no matter no matter the reason why people get in there's this small set that goes down the rabbit hole and kind of understands the sound money side of things and the separation of money and state side of things. And that's the kind of remnant that's the building and, and you know, understands this new world that we could have. 
and then you start to understand Ooh. why. Yeah. Let's dive into that. The remnant. The remnant. It's a reference. Reference. Uh, there's a Mises.org has a piece on what is the story of Job or Isaiah? Isaiah. Yeah. Ron Paul talked about the remnant. You know, this like there's a small group that stayed true to the true to the cause. You know. Um, and it's this, uh, Taleb has the intolerant minority. Is it Taleb? Yeah. The intolerant minority idea where you just need a very small percentage of the population to hold a belief unwaveringly and it'll eventually flip the whole, uh, the whole population. And so we're nowhere near that, but we're building the core of that kind of group with people that say, if you can separate money and state, then you can cut to the heart of so many societal woes and so many things keeping us back as a species. Um, yeah, just like, you know, you look at corruption around the world and just the, the things that, that governments are doing to hold back the economic prosperity of their populations. And it's just criminal. It's like there's, there's billions of people that are, that are being held back by self-interested local bureaucrat types, who, you know, uh, tax them three times a day. Um, yeah, you know, it's hard to start a business. There's no uh, secure property rights. And then on top of that, the money's the money's being managed as a as a personal piggy bank for the elites. And in certain places, that that leads to these hyperinflations regularly and destroys people's savings. You, you have no way to save up for the future and, and have long-term planning. So if, if you can't, if you can't plan for the long-term, you can't accumulate capital, you can't increase productivity and you can't grow economically. You have to be able to have this, this ability to have secure property rights and be able to plan for the future. Thankfully we do have that in the U S but the elites are still using the fed as their piggy bank. Uh, so. Well, that's actually, maybe a good topic of conversation we can dive into right now. Like how long is that going to persist, particularly in this climate where the Fed's printing ungodly amounts of money, the economy is forced to shut down. And we're like, it's never been this, at least in my life. I'm pretty sure I can say with some degree of confidence that most people's lives uh, have never experienced anything as crazy as 2020. Uh, and like, like, you talked to mention hyperinflation in other countries like is it here in the states like is it starting to creep in like looking at the price of precious metals the stock markets uh and considering the fact that tens of millions of people are out of work and they're just going to start airdropping money in people's bank accounts like how, like is are we close to the remnant being able the remnant bitcoiners being able to make a compelling case to to your average joe Who's going to just be out in the street? Like, what the fuck is going on? The money printer works until it doesn't, right? That's the whole, that is literally the, the thread that every central bank walks is how much can we print while still maintaining confidence in the currency? All of them. That's, that's their whole, that's their whole game. And so it's a confidence game, right? Um, I mean, there's some pretty dystopian outcomes where 
if Bitcoin is seen as the enemy, you have this popular, you know, 6102 type situation where, oh, Bitcoin's your enemy. Bitcoin's causing all the, all the economic problems. So we need to confiscate Bitcoin from the Bitcoiners and, you know, depending on your culture, either send them to the gulag or execute them or just tax them a bunch, whip, flog them in the city, in the square, break them on the wheel, whatever it is. Um, there's that, there's that potential reality. Then there's the, then there's the track where Bitcoin spreads fast enough that you have the intolerant minority, say 10% of the population says, yeah, I think Bitcoin is a solution to our problems and not the political process. In that case, you might have a flip where they're going to be super loud. They're going to be in the streets. They're going to be calling congressmen and all that. And you may try to be able to stave off kind of that ultimate uh, democracy attack on Bitcoin, the ultimate 51% attack, right? Um, so the, there, there's, there's an optimistic, there's a dystopian and like a utopian kind of direction we could go here. So I don't know. This is, this is I think, part of the tension, right? There's this tension between hodl number go up and privacy and uh you need both right you need both damn right <laughs> like they're well, both they're both I think, right. there's a, I think there's a third path sort of revealing itself again throughout this crisis and the fact that trump tweeted out yesterday like questioning whether or not they should delay the election yep like so the third path is that like I, I think it would be pretty hard for the government and the powers that be to convince people right now that Bitcoin is the source of their problems. It's yeah. simply just not big enough or popular enough. Yeah. And so the third path would be like the government like just completely shitting the bed and, and getting into a chaotic situation before Bitcoin even takes off, which incites people to scramble for solutions. And then the question Fly, is flies under the radar while the system collapses. Yeah, but the the way I see it is, it would be there would be a broader wealth redistribution movement where like rich people are targeted, and as a subset of that movement, if rich people are moving into Bitcoin or if Bitcoiners are becoming increasingly rich people, then there'll be an anti-Bitcoin sentiment in terms of trying to redistribute that wealth. But but it'll be part of like an overarching, you know, the Bezos of the world are the Eat problem. The rich. If there's a, if there's a Bitcoin pump, like people are in the streets, yeah. you know, the cities are on fire. Uh, don't have to look too far for that. But it's like broad, <laughs> broad suffering instead of concentrated kind of protest if there's broad suffering and at the same time bitcoin is doing 20 percent a day for weeks and weeks and it's you know it's pumping and pumping and pumping then all of a sudden people are saying wait these people are are getting rich right now and look at me now the the question is you know is the stock market also pumping at that time because so we've seen this whole complete disconnection of the stock market probably with right reality well that's you know that's why I was asking whether or not hyperinflation is starting to come here already. And that might be the sign, right? Because this is what happened in Argentina and Venezuela and other countries that have experienced hyperinflation. Some other countries, their stock markets go crazy first. I mean, our grocery card is 50% more expensive than it was at the beginning of the year. Really? Have you been tracking that? Well, you just kind of, you kind of have the rough number. 
you know, we spend X per week on groceries. Well, it's X times 1.5 right now. And that's massive inflation. Clark has a private dashboard that's just as gross. <laughs> the internal household dashboard, real time. Well, that, like going back to like the CPI being manipulated, yeah. like the, the index I like to look at is the Chapwood index. And if you look at that, real inflation in uh, the big cities, the top 10 largest cities is on average like around 10% annually, Yeah, which is pretty insane. You compound that over years and years and that's the funny part is and i say this a lot in the newsletter like the the fed saying there's no inflation is basically pissing in your face and telling you it's raining uh, ironically it is raining right now so i'm sorry if there's raindrops in the background freaks we but, embrace irony here in the bitcoin space <laughs> um it is like it's obvious that inflation is is pervasive society look at healthcare education real estate and if people just take what the fed and the government says at face value there is no inflation we actually need more the fed is coming out and saying we want to overshoot our inflation target now which is complete insanity to me but people know and can feel it and experience it in their everyday lives and again they just they just turn and and blame something else and hit the streets for something else i got Monsieur's book this book will save you time got two copies and i've already given one to a friend and he sent it you know he sent it back with with good good uh reviews super easy book to read and it it just tells you this whole when you when you waste someone's time you have taken something from them that has incalculable value. Like you never get your time back. So if you're trading your, if you're trading the prime of your life, working for a company in exchange for some, some unit, and then someone else makes that unit worth less value then they are literally taking the time, that time of your life that you spent and they're taking it and they're throwing it away. You know, I don't really want to bring like, I don't really want to dive into the schools thing, but if you have make work, you know, you have children and you say, ah, you need something to do for the next hour. So do this. That's pointless. You're taking part of their childhood, which is like a special part of your life that you never get back kind of double, you know, like taking a child's childhood away from them is even worse. But, you know, working, working people, you, you have the prime of your life, you're dedicating to this stuff, you're trying to save for later, and then the government steals it from you through inflation. Um, they're literally stealing away your life force that you, that you dedicated to this thing. That's why you need a sound money. And, and, it, and, you know, Bitcoin standard goes into time preference and all about just shifting the way you think about the world. And that's, that's the biggest thing that Bitcoin can do for people, I think, is just shift the way you think about how you spend your time and what, what you save your, save your effort in. No. Yeah. No, no, it's not even inflation where they steal your time. It's taxing too. Like you said, they tax you three times a day and you brought up education and, and schooling. And, and that's like a huge debate going on right now with all these teachers unions protesting, like we're not going back to teach with coronavirus and LA teachers unions are attempting to have <laughs> Los Angeles County enact socialist reforms 
uh, or they won't go back and teach. And uh, that's driving a, a very interesting conversation, which actually, if you freaks haven't listened to it yet, Corey DeAngelis was on this podcast arguing that if you don't open schools, uh, we are still paying taxes in the form of property taxes or income taxes that, that go to these public schools. The money should go directly to the parents to decide. Yeah, it's too dangerous. Uh, it's too dangerous to open the schools. Let's just shut them down and then refund everybody's property taxes. And you know, had a good run. Let's try something else. I, it's too dangerous. Well, that's not what they want to do. They just want to keep they, taxing. Yeah, everybody. They want to keep the, the money. Get paid. <laughs> they want to keep the money. You know, keep keep printing. Well, how are they going to? You know what? They got to print new bonds to build more school buildings for some reason. I don't know. Maybe they're re-education camps now or something. For for those of us who don't who aren't down with the program, well, the re-education camps have arrived in Seattle. If you if you haven't noticed, have you guys heard of that? Well, who's who's building them? Who's going to build them first? Are they going to be FEMA re-education camps or Google re-education camps? Well, they start. It's funny because they're they're re-educating the adults first. At least in Seattle, you have to go to, and it's pretty crazy. They've in already Seattle, got the children. All the they're making all the quote unquote white. Uh, city workers like go to classes telling telling them how how bad they are and systemically racist they are and they have to like it is in the mandate by the city if they don't acknowledge certain things they are not allowed to continue working so that is in my mind definitely a re-education camp they are here but it no. isn't new just the the scale is new, right? Because we've seen like what like ethics, all these different ethics courses and stuff you have to take, right? Uh, depending on your company or what government you're working. Yeah, but for. it's usually just a like a webinar that you click through, and it's like, all right, you have to watch this. You're not supposed to just. I acknowledge my privilege. Let's... Check, submit. <laughs> no, I mean this uh, is so... this is par for the course. It's just kind of the first time it's really rearing its head in America, you know. You get ma mass slaughter of the uh, in the wrong thinkers at various regular intervals throughout various countries. So you know it's just coming here. It's our turn. I don't want it to be our turn. That's not good if it's, it's our that's turn. That's why we need like, the we need citadels, to fight man. Against this citadel theory. Well, I mean, I think part of it is like we live in such a litigious society as well, right? Like, in, in, at least on the private side, um, there there's so much red tape that you have to deal with uh, to cover your ass uh, that just wastes all of our time. You know, specifically, I'm thinking about like different ethics programs that like private companies have to do um, that literally every single person who's there thinks it's a joke. And is just doing the bare minimum, including the administrators who are pushing the program because they have to cover their ass because they're afraid they're going to get hit by a class action lawsuit or just some lawsuit or something. This is a problem with the Fed. Fed this is man. a problem with the Fed. Like one of my favorite charts. No, well, it's student loans, right? The the ability to get access to the free money to go get education. My, one of my favorite charts to follow is the amount of lawyers that have been produced and the amount of laws that have been produced. Uh, put those two lines next to each other, and it's a pretty obvious correlation that these people are getting uh, money to go to school. They're taking out loans that the government's backing. They're going to get their law degrees, and then they're coming out and making life harder for everybody else. This is a direct consequence of easy money. 
So we have all these, we have the student loan program funneling money into academia. And then you have all these campus protests in the past few years saying, I need my safe space, I need my, you know, whatever it is. And the response from the universities is to create a new program office, right? To create more bureaucrats. And so you just have this building up of the university itself, which necessitates larger budgets, which makes the prices go up. So like the students don't, you know, the students aren't demanding a refund for like, hey, you gypped me out of my, you know, $100,000, $200,000 and I'm unemployable. I want my money back. No, no, no. It's I want my loan forgiven. No, they're not mad at the university, but then the university the whole time has been building up all these program offices and diversity offices and all these things that just leech off of the system. They're not teaching, they're just leeching. And it's all, fu it's all fueled by student loan, which is fueled by debt, just fueled by unsound money. There it is. Yeah. Bitcoin fixes Bitcoin this. Bitcoin fixes this. Just dri drive it all back, yeah. drive it all back. You're not a real Bitcoiner but if you don't it, believe it, Bitcoin doesn't fix this. <laughs> But uh, uh, it, it it's almost hard f to believe that it's that simple, though, right? Like the the root of the problem is the fact that we have easy money. There's nuance. People don't want to believe it's that simple. It's subtle. <laughs> it's and it's it's but it's well, that's because it's not that simple, Marty. It is though. <laughs> like you can you can draw a direct line to this, like access to student loans fueled by debt drives people to get these degrees the universities know they're gonna be able to get the money from the loans so they jack up the prices pay administrative like we just described it. it's there is a, a course of action here yeah an order of operations if you will so our bitcoiners going to be able to get the citadels put together in time to stave off the stave off the democratic onslaught of uh, the confiscation. The citadels are already being built. They're just not only being built by Bitcoiners right now. They're just being built by wealthy people all are around the world. Are they going to let world. Bitcoiners in? I hope Kanye lets me in. I'm going to his citadel. <laughs> well, I guess this is a good, a good conversation to jump in. Number one, if there was a quasi 6102 executive order 6102 attempted against Bitcoiners, how successful or futile those efforts be? And then number two in America yes, and then number two as a defense, like how will we construct these citadels and protect against this? So this is, this is where the privacy people get it right. You need Bitcoin. That's not connected to your identity. Uh, Two, the cost of enforcement of that sort of thing. So I, I haven't looked into it 100%, but I believe that the main confiscations in 6102 were at the banks, safe deposit boxes, things like that. I think, I think, I could be really wrong on this. I don't think they went door to door, right? So you could see major confiscations from centralized custodians. Well, they had a big penalty if you if you didn't comply. So I, I assume they, they did like some selective. Yeah, you got to make a few examples, crack a few eggs, yeah. you know, public executions, whatever, to scare the rest of the people into compliance. But the cost of enforcement of Bitcoin confiscation is very, very high. You have to go get it right. And they have to 
send it. It's push. You can't just like grab the gold and stick it in your pocket and walk out. You have to say like, either give me the thing that has the private keys and the password or send it to me. So the enforcement of that sort of action is much higher. The other piece, I don't know. Someone made this point. If the government wants the Bitcoin so bad, like it's got to be pretty valuable. I don't know. It, it's, that's a validation of sorts that they want it. I don't know if they're just going to liquidate it or if they actually want to use it. Um, so they have to, they have to also plan on, Hey, if we, if we try to confiscate this thing, is the value just going to go to zero on us in local terms? And it's not going to be worth anything. We're going to be wasting lots of effort, putting lives at risk, you know, enforcement requires going to somebody's house, which in America is a risky proposition. Right. So I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting game theory around it. And then, I mean, I think they would hold it because that's what they did with gold. They, they wanted it for themselves. Uh, but, and I think that it would probably be bullish on a macro sense. I mean, it would obviously suck for whichever government was doing it for those citizens. Um, I would just add that like enforcement, while it would be difficult to enforce on the specific seizing the Bitcoin, right? Because you could throw someone in jail, you can put all sorts of penalties on them. It doesn't mean they're yep. going to give you the private keys. Um, and that becomes very difficult to do in a, in a democratic society and in, in a relatively free society. But what they could do is, I mean, I think a lot of Bitcoiners have other assets besides Bitcoin. I mean, you're not a real Bitcoiner if you do, but <laughs> I think a lot of Bitcoiners do. So they could seize your house. They could seize stocks, seize money you have in a bank account, you know, according to how much Bitcoin they think you have. Right. They could seize different assets than Bitcoin. But what does that say about the will of the American spirit and the American ideals? Like, at what point do, <laughs> do people say, what the fuck? Like... This can't happen here. Like, do you, is there a possibility that that happens, or, or way too many people completely I, gone? I, I and, think and I jaded think that we're seeing system. we're seeing a rift. We're seeing a rift, and and this is this is the precursor to civil war. Uh, the only solution is going going separate ways. I mean, think about it. Think about it. People hate Trump so much, right? They hate him so much. We're going to have this election, maybe. And if Trump gets reelected, is everyone going to say, okay, yeah, you know, that's the democratic process. I accept the results of the election as legitimate. Or if Trump loses, are these people going to be like, okay, you know, all you people who supported Trump, you're cool now. He's gone. We forgive you. We love you now. There's peace between our, you know, the political process has, has created peace between us. Is that going to happen? I think there's a, a small subset of, of people who would like to see the other side tortured and killed. It's the way it is in every society. Yeah. It's just kind of rearing its head now, you know? So there, there's no peace produced by the political process, but voting is an important release valve on tension. I just think the tension is too high that the election is not gonna release the tension this time around. What? Again, after my conversation with Whitney Webb the other day, and Trump's tweet yesterday, I would not be surprised if it doesn't happen. So here's a headline from an article uh, in Reuters today, exclusive, Republicans and Democrats agree on one thing, uh, doubt about fair election. So like, it's, they're already, like, both sides are already posturing, like the results are going to be 
manipulated and they're not going to be you're not going to be able to have any faith in the results of the election so like it is already being delegitimized before it even happens and this is where things get really weird and I mean, that's the problem, right? Because what Clark, just like I agree with Clark that, you know, voting, a fair political process is a very effective release valve. But the problem is, is when both sides, when most people do not think that the electoral process is fair anymore, that they think it's corrupted, then it's no longer a release valve. Then it's just like, you know, a trigger situation that just triggers, that ends up triggering one side or the other. When you mention something like secession or just separation, you get called, you know, neo-confederate you just like slavery because you you know you want a peaceable solution to our problems you must be some sort of you know 1800s but i mean i think that's a framing thing right because if you told liberals that you could break off into your own you know that's why i think like citadel theory is more uh politically neutral right so it's it's you know it's both sides i think would prefer to be separated how about about this how about this for a change hey wouldn't it be cool if you and your neighbors a few blocks around you shopped around and hired a police force to protect your neighborhood you just pooled your resources and hired it for you know from my house five blocks that way five blocks that way and we decided what the police did rather than the police enforcing rules from washington on our neighborhood that we don't care about What's what's wrong with that? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, wouldn't it be nice if the federal building wasn't down in downtown Portland? You don't have even have to kick them out. You don't have to burn it down because it's not even there because Washington doesn't matter in your daily life. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be beautiful. Yeah. I mean, there are externalities, though. Yeah, it's not that simple, but yeah, like, ma- right. like the yeah, if there ever is like a vacuum of power, I believe before you get. Well, I'm thinking like Snow Crash too, right? Like Snow Crash, you would like drive through like 10 different, like you're delivering pizza, you drive through like 10 different Bird police place. departments. Uh, but local, yeah. this is all, it's localism. It's localism. We, we have right. problems that we know about. We have ways to, we'd like those problems solved. But when some other group through the political process or whatever imposes solutions on us that don't match our culture, our experience, then you have this giant tension and you have America, TM. TM. And the bigger the government, the easier it exactly. is to corrupt. Like local local government tends to, uh, you know, people are held more accountable. It's harder to fuck you around. You see them at the grocery store. Yeah. They don't have as much money to play with. Yeah, and then the federal government at some point just hits breakaway speed where it's gross at all costs, consume as much power and attain as much power as possible, which we've far surpassed at some point long ago. Oh man. Is there going to be a civil war? That's but that's the other, like that. There's always that nuclear option that sits in the, like I did block digest with John Seth. Uh, he was part of the panel a few weeks ago and he brought up a really good point. Like, uh, like, Antifa and all these leftist extremists are going crazy right now and everybody's wondering like why uh, civilians who who lean towards the right or more conservative don't react and he said because there's always this nuclear option in the back like they have all the guns and they know they 
they they want to use that as a last resort they don't want to use it at all but it is always there and so if like something like a civil war does break out like would it even last that long because when it's like all right push comes to shove we're doing this one side has most of the ammunition you know, if you saw if you saw the the looting and rioting head into the neighborhoods, you're going to see a lot, a lot, a lot of conflict uh, with armed residents, and it's all going to be live streamed on Twitter. And I think that'll be a huge deterrent. Like, I, I think I think that the the progressive force is to grab institutions of power, to grab centralized institutions. It's why they love the Supreme Court uh, because you can jam something down everyone's throats forever if you get five people to agree um that's why they want to control the center so uh you know yeah i think that's the main that's the main force behind it like taking it taking it like going to like commit violence against individuals i don't think that's what most of these people want to do and you're going to see a lot of pretty grisly live streams on twitter if that starts going down and i don't think i don't think that's going to happen much i think it'll be a big kind of top down they want they want top down right oh you know now we're gonna we're gonna close all the churches or we're gonna do something else from the federal level and and you're gonna have in imposition from that, that direction a, a, a political <sighs> officer a political officer in every police force soviet style so you've got like the police chief and the political officer you know the commissar or whatever and they've got a they got to both turn the turn the keys to launch the missiles or whatever. <laughs> Hunt for October. It's coming. It's coming though. Like and it, we've been warned about it. Yuri Bezmenov in the '80s said this. It's going to happen slowly but surely over the course of a generation, and it seems like it's happening right now. And it's scary. But here, it's, so here's so how, how here's where Bitcoin comes in, right? <clears throat> You can you can wash to shore on some other some other land of your little raft, start naked, right? And if you've got twelve words in your head, you have transported your value from the place you fled. You know? Getting a getting you you can you can you can go Massive. away, you can leave. If you had to, under the most extreme circumstance, you could still transport your value with you and try to rebuild your life somewhere else um especially if your bitcoin like starts rocketing out of control in value compared to all your other assets then it's a lot easier to to exit um which we've never, never seen before. ever before yeah. in human history but where do you exit to like going back to yuri bezmanov like he he warned like this is the last bastion like that you have to defend america like as after that there's really nowhere to go where can like, men go, go Poland, to be free croatia yeah, I don't know. Wyoming Citadel, fight them off. <laughs> yes. So, how do we make secession happen, like peacefully? Like, hey, all right, you guys up there, you obviously want this habit. Just leave us the fuck alone, please. I don't know. Just do you think? Do you, do you think? Do you think that'll happen? The word, in our the word secession is a hundred percent poisoned in everyone's mind through the government schools. Secession is a hundred percent associated with slavery forever. So you just have to use a different word like, hey, wouldn't it be nice? States, States rights. rights. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if the federal government didn't impose its laws on you? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if, you know, federal officers weren't throwing your people in vans on the street? 
that'd be cool. Why don't you just kick him out? Yeah, I've uh, I've had a change of tune with the federal officers in the last couple of weeks. Uh, if I if I have officers throwing me in a van, I want them to be local. <laughs> uh, no, it's chaos out there, man. Stay safe. One stray rock flying through the air it hits you in the head. It's over. Be careful, it's done. There, guys. But it's like all this is happening right now too, and interestingly, like, the progressives want to take over like the institutions, the federal institutions, but everybody's losing faith in them. Like the like in the whole process. Like what happens? You even if you do get control of it nobody like believes in it anymore like so is there well this the so-called progressives aren't the only ones trying to take control over the major institutions everybody wants control right like the whole political establishment on both sides is trying to do that yes the that's the problem right there are centralized institutions to take control of that's the problem that's the problem. So someone's going to try and it's just naturally incentivized for people to try and take control over them. Well, there's another way too, and this is riffing on my conversation with Jeff Andrew, our most recent one. Like you have the political means of doing it, and then the cultural means, which is usually uh, happens in the university system. And there's no denying the fact that the university systems become uh, considerably more progressive and and in. in more like an indoctrination camp um, and has been co-opted to some degree. So you can attack it politically and then culturally as well. It's just something to keep into consideration. Human nature, man. It's the, the philosophy rabbit hole of the uh, Bitcoin world. It's uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dark scenarios out there, but I don't know. I ho- hopefully we don't go down most of them. Hopefully we have some sort of peaceful resolution to all this stuff. Yeah, what do you believe, Clark? You're a God-fearing man. Like, do you think humans are inherently evil, inherently good? What do you think? I think I think we're fallen, right? Like, uh, but I think that there's a large, I think there's a large spectrum of internal beliefs. You know, everybody's got that kind of like you want to be vindictive. But I don't think most people would say, I want to see somebody tortured, right? But some people do. You know, so you have this big distribution of, of the tolerance. And then, and then culture, culture is kind of like where the, where the peak of the distribution is. Culture is like where the average acceptance of whatever it is. You know, it's like a pacifist would say, I never condone violence ever for any reason. And then some others are like, violence is the only thing that solves problems. You know, Starship Troopers style, right? And then you have this big, broad thing in the middle, and that's, you know, I, I just don't like to see that window shifting. I don't like to see the, the window shifting to where it's okay to say, hey, we need to send people to re-education camps. You know, don't get the chip, don't get in the rail car, right? But in some ways it's gotten better, right? Because, like, I mean, I remember, like, post-September 11th, uh like us rah rah we had like 20 the show 24 was out and it was just like he was torturing someone every episode you know like we literally had guantanamo where we were we were i mean i wouldn't even i don't even think they were re-education camps right they were just torture torture (laughs) facilities i mean yeah like i i think that that morality should come from external standard like in my case the bible um 
fearing God, I don't think morality can come from top-down, like human, you know, political institutions. You're, it's because that's a shifting, that's a shifting target, right? So you've got to find it outside of these systems. And you know, some of the conservative writers are making the point that like the institutions of local, like local institutions, have been declining in importance, and centralized in institutions have been increasing in importance. And so that's where people are finding meaning. And the finding their tribe is in like a ever more centralized way instead of like the local bowling club it's my membership in a political national political movement and that creates an increasing polarization you know so the, the decline of black decline squares of church is part of that um so you know stuff like that social yeah, media centralized i don't know about social media it, it is a force that does centralize the conversation in quotes um yeah there's a center like because you could post the same hashtag as someone who lives in yeah there's, like, there's a way that it like, like there's a feedback Illinois. loop that amplifies certain messages that you never would have heard prior you know so yeah it could be a force I mean, for good that black square thing go ahead i was gonna say like the black square phenomenon instagram that went on after the like you just have people we never thought about this stuff. Just posting and and going along with the herd. And again, it was a virtue signal. Like, hey, I believe in this. And it, it, yeah, and as we t talked about a lot, like the state is replacing God, and the state is replacing the Father in a lot of cases too. And these cornerstone institutions of Western society, and the nuclear family, and uh, God, <laughs> believing in the and the golden rule and, and, and the messages that uh, Jesus and other religious leaders spread throughout the world and it's being replaced with the state and I don't I don't like that trend personally I mean if you go back I don't I don't know if they still teach this but just like everything you learned on the playground in elementary school right like don't you know don't take people's stuff if they're already playing with it like treat others like you want to be treated the basics of human decency you just i don't know if there's just wishful thinking i don't even know if they teach that stuff anymore maybe it's now like if you have any problem run to an authority figure <laughs> you know rather than like uh try to solve your own problems but don't solve them with violence kind of thing i don't know uh, let's, on a, let's end it on a hopeful note here speaking of children i have to go take care of mine in about 10 minutes here um where uh let's end on a hopeful note like yeah let's let's provide an optimistic route forward with bitcoin being integral in that like because i do believe maybe it's just being in the bitcoin echo chamber or uh um sort of confirmation bias but i do believe there is a pull and a, a strong pull towards personal responsibility like and extreme ownership that's, that's happening um whether it be people listen to joe rogan and want to go hunting more and, and work out more or bitcoiners who want to take control of their financial sovereignty and, and develop a low time preference um i do think more people are starting to wake up to the these ideas and get reacquainted with with the idea of hard work and personal sovereignty and, and individual uh, responsibility for 
for your success or failures in life. Yeah, I think load time preference builds civilization. If you consume 100% of what you make instantly, you never accumulate capital. You never advance economically. There's no growth of productivity, which is like the only way to grow a prosperous society. So yeah, you know, Western Civ, the, the cornerstone of like private property, accumulation of capital, um, and then, you know, fair institutions of justice that you can, you can, dis you can settle a contract in court without the judge being partial to one side or the other because of your race or creed. Those are the cornerstones of Western civilization, basically. And out and, and you know, as far as the economics go, um, I, I do agree that, yeah, the interference of the state has really uh, jeopardized the family, which is the cornerstone of kind of the society itself. So I think that, yeah, lower, you know, lower your time preference. If you can plan for the future and take more responsibility for your own life, that does everyone that does everyone good. Uh, if you if you think, hey, you know, I could I could save up for my future or I could, you know, put a gallon of sugar in my body or whatever it is. If, if you think if you think twice about that, then that tips this kind of broad scale, broad based cultural behavior. And this, and this kind of tips everyone a little bit more toward you know, lowering the time preference, thinking about the future. And I think that that has, uh, you know, immeasurable, immeasurable upside for the future. If you're not if you're not so now oriented and if you think a little bit a little bit past, you know, the here and now. Man, I need some optimism from you, brother. You know, I think we got this thing. I think uh, I think it's easy to be scared and and worried, um, but there's been a ton of progress. Uh, well, you know, there's been a ton of, of of backwardization, but there's been a ton of progress over my lifetime. Um, I think that's gonna that trend is gonna continue. Uh, I'm thankful that we have Bitcoin. I'm, I'm, and I'm. I think part of my optimism is because I surround myself with Bitcoiners who tend to have low time preference, and I think are prioritizing the right things. Um, but I think it goes beyond Bitcoin that gives me optimism. Just like the whole free open source software movement in general, um, and using these technologies as basically defensive technologies to empower individuals. And as we empower individuals, then we naturally and peacefully move away from these central points of control and i i think it's it's inevitable the question is is like how bad does it get in the in-between and that that that's really what it comes down for me but as, as far as on the longer term i am insanely optimistic i am as well yeah. here's the hoping we uh weather this this turbulent storm uh that seems to be upon us right now both literally and figuratively i'm i'm recording this in a storm uh <laughs> clark thank you for what you do do you have any parting notes or uh any information you want to share with the freaks out there where we can find more about you help you out in any way follow me on twitter at clark moody to the moon yeah best uh one of my favorite uh bios on twitter i love jesus i pay in bitcoin it's uh short and to the point <laughs> well, Clark, thank. Um, Go ahead, Matt. 
I just want to sh- I want to show this donate link one more time. That's bitcoin.clarkmoody.com/donate and uh Clark, you should do a pull request and get that up on bitcoindevlist.com mm, as well. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I hope you both enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you for what you do, Clark, your dashboard again. My favorite bookmark. I think it is actually very beneficial to bitcoiners out there to help develop a context for the the gravity of bitcoin um so thank you for for producing that and we are happy to shill it on every episode of rabbit hole recap so um hopefully it brings some more uh more users to your to your site thanks all right that's all we got this week freaks peace and love